have a Father who has not only extended grace to you and mercy and set you free from a prison. He has adopted you into his family. He's changed your name. He's allowing you to wear his clothes and use his identity and his resources. Everything that was available to his son Jesus is available to you even though you murdered his son. That is the doctrine of adoption. Well, thanks for joining me today on Resonate with Trent Griffith. I'm Aaron Paulus. We'll continue today in a series, Think, Christianity in High Definition. Pastor Trent will give a fourth and final message on the doctrine of salvation. I'd invite you to listen with me as Pastor Trent shares a powerful illustration to help us understand what it really means to be adopted by God. Here's Pastor Trent. Two weeks ago... On Sunday morning, I'm, I get up, I'm getting ready to come to church, I'm grabbing my Bible and my notes, and, and I, I was going to grab my wallet, and I couldn't find it. Looked all over the house, it's gone. While I'm looking for it, there's a knock at the door, and a man that I'd never seen before, nicely dressed, you know, businessman looking person, he has my wallet. And... He's got my driver's license. He said, are you Tommy Griffith? I'm like, well, that was my dad's name, but yeah, that's my first name, Tommy Trent Griffith. That's me. And so he says, I have your wallet. I found it around the corner in the street. And all of the credit cards and stuff were out, but I put them back in. There's no money in it, but it looks like everything else is here. And I realized that a child who will remain nameless had left the garage door up um, that night. And my wallet was actually left in my car because I remember going through the Krispy Kreme donut drive through that night and uh, <laughs> left the, the, the wallet in the car. Not only that, but there, were, there was something else missing in the house. And I realized that not only had they come into the garage, there was a person who came into my house. Now, no big deal, police report, you know, if you did that, you need to repent. We'll have an invitation here at the, at, at the end. But the, the creepiest part about that is someone who I did not know was in my house while I was asleep. And my four children were in the house while they were asleep. Now, that's the end of the true story, but I want you to imagine with me something. What if that person had not just stolen my wallet? What if they had gone where my son's bedroom was and they had taken my son by force out of the house, stabbed and killed him? And then I woke up the next morning realizing what had happened. I was able to identify who that criminal was. Crime scene investigation, DNA evidence. But then I found a knife. I found out who that man was. And I found out he had a son. And I broke into his house. And I stabbed and killed his son. That would be vengeance. But what if, instead of doing that, I realized my son had been killed, I picked up the phone, I called the authorities, 
The police came. They did an investigation. They arrested that man. They brought him before a judge in criminal court. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death. That would be justice. But what if, in the middle of the courtroom, I went over to that man as he was being sentenced. I stuck out my hand, and with tears in my eyes, I said, I want you to know, I fully and freely forgive you. As a matter of fact, I can honestly say, I have love in my heart for you. With sympathy, with compassion, that would be an act of mercy. But what if that man went to prison and before he was executed, I went before the judge and I filed paperwork and I brought reason to that judge why that man should be pardoned. Maybe it was a terrible upbringing, maybe, maybe all kinds of extenuating circumstances, and I was able to secure a pardon for that criminal. And I went to that prison on the day that the warden took the key, stuck it into the door, and unlocked the prison cell, opening the door, and escorted him out of that prison because of what I had done legally to secure his pardon. That would be grace. But what if, when that man was set free, I met him there at the prison door, and I said, I want you to come with me. I put him in the car that my son used to drive and drove him to my house, invited him into my home, sat him at my dinner table where my son used to sit, After the meal was over, I took him to my son's bedroom and I showed him the clothes and the stereo and the iPod and the bed and said, I want you to know you can wear those clothes. You you can sleep in that bed. You, You can use any resource that my son used to use. And as a matter of fact, there's a bank account, savings account. We've been saving for college for my son and he's obviously not going to get to go, but you can go. And all of the family resources are available to you because I want you to know, I went back before that same judge. I have filed the paperwork. I had to pay $30,000, but I have legally adopted you. And your last name is now Griffith. That would be adoption. And that is exactly what you have had happen to you if you, by faith, have embraced Christ as a Savior. You have a Father who has not only extended grace to you and mercy and set you free from a prison, He has adopted you into His family. He's changed your name. He's allowing you to wear His clothes and use His identity and His resources. Everything that was available to His Son, Jesus, is available to you even though you murdered his son. That is the doctrine of adoption.
And if you have been adopted, there's going to be a family resemblance because the adage is true, like father, like son. The Apostle Paul picked up on this in Ephesians chapter 5 and said this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, like father, like son. Here's step eight in the order. Sanctification. We're going to define it this way. High definition view of sanctification is this. It is the ongoing process of God. Setting a disciple apart from the sinful tendencies through the obedience of the believer. Now, every word of that definition is very carefully chosen. I want you to notice the word process. As a distinction to justification, sanctification is a process. Justification happens at a point. I talk about this all the time up here. One of the... the the prevailing attitudes in our community is that salvation is a process. Salvation happens at a point. It continues as a process. A person comes into the family of God when they are regenerated, they are converted, they are justified, and they are adopted. It all happens at a point. And if you haven't had it happen at a point, you haven't yet been saved. The confusion happens is because most people think salvation happens as a process. I just kind of get better and, and I just kind of know more and I do more stuff. That is not justification. That is sanctification. Sanctification follows justification. It's an ongoing process of God setting a disciple apart from sinful tendencies through the obedience of the believer. Now, I want you to notice this. Sanctification is a cooperation of both God and one of his followers. I play a part in my sanctification. Notice this. He says about God's role in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's at work in that verse? God is at work. You see any role you play in there? No, you're just kind of, God's doing this to me. There's some stuff that God wants to do to you. Did you know that? He wants to change you. He wants to fix you. And he's in the process of doing that right now, but he invites you into the process. Notice this verse in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. As you always have obeyed, who's at work here? Who's this verse about? You. Then he tells you to do something. Work out. Some of you, you just got under conviction when I said that. You have to work out. You have to work out, right? And yeah, yeah, I know, I need to hit the gym. It's like, God wants you to work out. He wants to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is giving you a command. He's giving you a command to obey. What is he telling you? You are to change. You are to do something. You are to do something. Christianity is not just something that happens in my heart. It's not just me and Jesus. In my, I invited Jesus into my heart. No, you to work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, not a casual attitude, but with urgency and serious focus. There's stuff I got to do every day. 
because I'm a believer and I want to follow Christ. I want to, I can do better. I can get, I can do more. I can, I, I can give more. I can pray more. I can evangelize more. I, I got to work this out. But then he says this, for it is God who works in. I work out, God works in. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's working in this verse? Who's working in this verse? We're all working. God's working. I'm working. God's working in. I'm working out. God's working in. I'm working out. I, there's a responsibility that I have in my own sanctification. You sleep in on Sunday morning, get up. It's football season, right? I'm taking 14 weeks off in the fall. <laughs> and Lord, would you sanctify me in the process? How well is that going to go? At the end of 14 weeks, how much more like Jesus are you going to be? Not a whole lot. So we've got a process. We've got a, a role in the process. Now, notice the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification changes my legal status. Sanctification changes my internal character and my external conduct. Justification happens once. It happens at a point. Sanctification continuous through life. It's a process. Justification, entirely God's work. Sanctification, we work too. God works in, I work out. Justification, perfect in this life. God's declaration makes me righteous in Christ. Sanctification, not ever really going to reach perfection. Anybody that teaches sinless perfection, just have a five-minute conversation with their wife. They will straighten you out, okay? <laughs> the work's never done, right? That's what we're going to call glorification. That's preview of coming attraction. It, justification, the, it is the same in all Christians. Sanctification greater in some Christians than others. That's what makes a pastor so frustrated <laughs> with, his own self, with his own sanctification and with everybody around him. He's like, come on, let's go, let's go. We can do more, we can do more, we can get better. Notice the difference. Don't ever confuse the two. Don't ever confuse the two. Step nine, perseverance. Perseverance, high definition is this. The enduring work of God that guarantees all whom God has justified will remain Christians until the end of their lives. Now, not all Christians agree on this, but the ones who are right understand this definition. It is the enduring work of God that guarantees all whom God has justified will remain Christians until the end of their lives. Now, I, I tease about that, but there's, there, there's a lot of people that have been exposed to other teaching, and, and this is, let me just tell you what the danger is, okay? And people say, well, you can't believe that a person comes to Christ at a point and continues all through their lives because I know so many people that called themselves Christians that flamed out. Anybody? Raise your hand if you know a Christian that flamed out. Raise your hand. Uh, how many are you? A, no, we won't ask you to do that. Um, it's like my brother, my sister, my pastor, for crying out loud, what are all these you know, people that we know that and they, they preached? And Do you know the Bible talks about those people all the time? The Bible gives an explanation why they flamed out. Because they didn't have true conversion in the beginning. Now, whether you believe that they lost their salvation or they never had it at the beginning, we both agree they both need to be saved, right? They need to hear the gospel. They need to come to true faith and repentance, okay? So the, the solution is the same, but we believe that a person once justified 
can never be overruled by another judge. If you understand all the other steps in the process, that they've been elected. It's a work of God that chose them. That it's God giving them faith to believe in conversion. That God grants life to dead things. How can anything undo what God has done? If it's a work of God, nothing I'm going to do is going to change that. The, the confusion is this. We think we contribute to our salvation. That's the problem. We think that I have something to do with my salvation, so I've got to do something to keep it. It's all a work of God, the justification, the sanctification, and the perseverance. Let me show you in Scripture why we believe this. All who truly are converted will preserve to the end. Why do we believe that? Because of what Paul said in Philippians 1. I am sure. How convinced of his writing was he? I'm, I'm quite convinced I'm right about this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Chances of that failing? Um, no. God's going to get his work done. He said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Stuck in an envelope. Lick the envelope. Smash it. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God gave you a promise. And what is the guarantee? Do you see the language? Guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This ought to spark incredible worship in you that what God started, He's going to complete in me as much of a miserable failure I am. He said this, Jesus said this in John chapter 6, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have... What kind of life? When does eternal life begin? When we get to heaven? Eternal life begins at the point of your justification. You are given new birth, which produces new life. The new life is eternal life. What's the definition of eternal? Never-ending life. I can't lose my salvation. It's an eternal salvation. And we'll raise him up on the last day. One more, John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given, to, given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. But what? I could jump out of, John, of God's hand. No, God's greater than you're jumping. I'm going to catch you, throw you right back in the middle of his hand, Okay. No snatching out of God's hand. Only those who persevere to the end have been truly saved. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 3. We have come to share in Christ if... Do you see the word if? This is conditional. You can know that you're saved if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. A persevering faith is the only kind of faith that gives confidence that you've genuinely been converted. And then finally, those who fall away may give external signs of conversion. We all know people that started well 
And they left. They're gone. They're not here this morning. They made a profession of faith. We baptized them. They shared a testimony. They may have even led a small group. But look, in the end, God says, what happened to them? 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they, were, they went out that it might be made plain that they are not all of us. So a Christian is made the subject of God's persevering grace we endure to the end. We are finally at the end. Point number 10, are you ready for this? It's the best one. We don't even have to say much about it because this is the best one. We know this is coming. Glorification. God's full and final redemption of our bodies to a perfect state where we are set free to worship God unhindered by sin. So, we've talked about justification. At justification, God sets us free from the penalty of sin. We've talked about sanctification. God sets us free from the power of sin, progressively. Glorification. One day... God will set me free from the presence of sin. All these ruts in my brain that cause me to drive where I don't want to drive. It, snow's coming. Did you know that? Snow's coming to Michiana. And I don't know if it's in the forecast yet, but I'm sure it's right around the corner. And you know in the middle of February when driving down Grape Road and your car, you can just let your hands off the steering wheel and it just sends you right down the road because there's two tire tracks right in the road, right? You, do you, our brains have those things across them. And we don't want to be there, but you have to make intentional efforts to get out of the rut. Do you know that one of these days, the, rut, the snow will melt? Winter will dissolve. We will all step through the wardrobe into Narnia. <laughs> and we will be glorified. And this is, the, the, this is not the best part. The best part is so will your husband. And... <laughs> You won't have to deal with any imperfect, annoying people anymore, right? And they won't have to deal with you. This is glorification. The Bible talks about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know what this teaches? It tells us what happens when we die. You ever ask that question? wonder what happens when we die. You know what happens when we die? Your soul is separated from your body. Your body goes into a grave, awaiting future resurrection. But your soul goes to be at home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's only one gateway to glorification. Your funeral. Death. We have to die to get there. But that ain't all bad. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you think about this properly, you may struggle to actually get up and live another day. I mean, I got to be careful here that I don't make heaven sound so good that some of you don't commit suicide. I mean, you, and Paul struggled, I think, with this because look at it in Philippians chapter 1. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But he said, I still got work to do. And God's still sanctifying me. And God's still using me. 
And I've got to make sure I am here for other people so that I can tell them how to get where I'm going. There is going to be a glorious day when God sets us free from the imperfections of this body. Philippians chapter 3, last verse. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Raise your hand if your body's kind of lowly, like mine. Pretty lowly body down here, all right? But I'm looking for a better one. To be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. When we are glorified, we will be like Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means that we, will be dis, that we will be set free from this decaying body to live in a glorified body. It will not be subject to sin. It will not be subject to temptation or depression or Parkinson's disease or cancer or doubt or death. We will live with glorified people. They will not be angry. They will not be hateful. They will not be abusive or selfish or annoying in any way. And we will live to perfectly glorify Jesus Christ unhindered by my weak body. Are you going to be there? Do you want to be there? Do you know how to get there? You've got to be justified, which will begin a process of sanctifying you to become like him progressively in this lifetime. But at the moment that you die, you have every reason to believe if by faith you have trusted the work of Christ on that cross. But you've got to decide, I want that. Do you want it? Right now, would you by faith surrender your sinful, selfish, weak efforts to be good and trust the good work of Jesus Christ on that cross? Would you, by faith, just tell the Lord in your heart, He can hear your prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, I've, I've tried to impress you with my good works, my religion. I realize you're not impressed. Today, by faith, I step into your courtroom as a guilty criminal and by your grace I ask for pardon would you set me free from the sin the prison of my own appetites today I decide to follow Jesus to trust him forever step by faith into God's courtroom and by God's grace received his pardon? Have you allowed God to set you free from the imprisonment caused by your sin? If you've placed your faith in Christ's finished work on the cross as payment for your sin, the Bible says that you are free. Free today from the bondage of sin and ultimately 
free in heaven from the presence of sin. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm glad that you've joined us today for Resonate with Trent Griffith. It's our prayer that God's word will resonate in your heart and in your life this week. We'd love to connect with you, so email us at resonate at harvestgranger.org or visit us for one of our weekly worship services. You can join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.